There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Edwin McCain rocks the Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia on Thursday and Ram's Head in Annapolis, Maryland on Friday. I caught up with the romantic singer-songwriter to discuss his career from I'll Be to I Could Not Ask for More. Hey, Edwin McCain, hey, thank you so much for joining us on WTOP in Washington, D.C. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, I don't even know if you remember this, but my wife and I talked to you probably for about an hour when you officiated our friend Kelly Bell and Adrian's wedding a couple months ago. <laughs> I absolutely remember that. That was, a, that was such a great wedding. That was such a great time. And I bring it up to a lot of our fans probably don't know you were, I guess, even are you officially ordained to kind of do that or it's a fun little trivia? I am. I am. Uh, I am uh, a minister in the Universal Life Church. You can all go get your credentials online. It takes about 20 minutes and you can officiate weddings. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we had a blast chatting with you. We talked about everything under the sun you can imagine. But I want I mean, but it's kind of full trivia fact that, uh, you know, he can do more than just music, folks. But let's talk the let's talk yeah. the shows, because uh, you're coming up here to the Birchmere in Alexandria, a legendary spot on October 5th. And then I guess also at Ram's Head in Annapolis on October 6th. So two chances to see you. Uh, where, where are you yeah. calling? Where are you calling us from now? What are you setting up at a venue right as we speak? I'm literally, I'm literally in the bus pulling into a venue right now as we speak. Um, and uh, Wednesday night, I'm actually going to meet Brian May, so that's going to be fun. So wait, tonight you're meeting Brian May of Queen? Is that what you said? So, yes. Yeah, we're going to go. My uh, manager, Wally, used to be Queen's tour manager back in the day, and he and Brian are still good friends, so I get to go uh, with him to, to, and to go see Queen and, and meet Brian May. So I'm really excited about that. That's amazing. Wait, so they're going to be, they're performing. Are you all going to be in the same town? Is that why? Where, where, what city are you in? Yeah, they're going to be in Baltimore Wednesday night. They're at CFG Bank Arena. Yeah, Adam Lambert and Queen and, and of course, Brian May. Yeah, that's yeah, freaking right. awesome. Okay, so you're making your way down this way. Okay, I got you. So you're in PA now, then you'll be in Baltimore tonight i guess by the time this runs then you'll make your way down to the birchman but all right well i have to ask then what what's your do you have a, a go-to queen song or two man i mean what what are you going to be rocking out geeking out the most over when you meet brian <laughs> uh, um yeah can anybody find me yeah i love that song <laughs> somebody um, to love <laughs> yeah i mean come on that's a great tune that is great. And yeah, Adam Lambert's done a decent, I mean, it's impossible to fill Freddie Mercury's shoes, but if anyone's done a good job, I thought he's, I think he's kicking butt at it, man. Uh, I 100% agree with you. Uh, he's a great singer and uh, it works perfectly. 
Yes. And it, I mean, Freddie Mercury is like the, the, maybe the all time greatest voice. That guy's register was insane. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool that they're keeping it going. Well, I mean, try, try not to geek out too much when you meet Brian, then I'm sure your hands will be shaking. <laughs> I try not to, I, I do, I try not to meet too many of my heroes, but I wasn't going to pass up an opportunity to meet him. So that's going to be fun. Yeah, exactly. Now you know how we felt when my wife and I came up to you at the wedding. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, not even. <laughs> you're on Brian May level now. No, all right. Anyway, well, all right. Well, then let's get to the Birchmere. And th- th- so you're doing that in Baltimore. That's cool. That's a local tie. We got Baltimore listeners too. Um, then you'll make your way down to um, Alexandria, Virginia, to the Birchmere, and then Ramshead in Annapolis. What What do we got in the show? Is there like a particular new album you're you're plugging? You're promoting most of the songs, or is it like sprinkling in the greatest hits too? Well, I know, I know my role is I, you know, our, our crowd has a certain group of songs they always want to hear. So I'm definitely playing that. And then I'll probably play some new stuff, but, um, we're playing full band this time. So a lot of times when we play Birchmere and, uh, and Ramshead, we, we usually are doing that as an acoustic trio, but we're going to bring the full band as, as, as venues now and, and, um, and, and rock it up a little bit so really looking forward to that that's awesome well i know um whenever i have someone big like yourself on i love to paint a picture of sort of your backstory for some of our listeners and you've actually called in before and so i i know some of it but in case some people missed it before like i know you're born in south carolina in 1970 what sort of what did you grow up listening to back you know in carolina in the 70s so i grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, but I grew up listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Tower of Power, and Marvin Gaye, and Wilson Pickett, and um, uh, I was a huge fan of Roger and Zap and the Gap Band, and Luther Vandross, and I used to go, I mean, I used to make my parents, and I, you know, my parents were pretty cool about it, like, they would drop me off at concerts. And I, I would just go to the concerts and they would pick me up afters. And, and I would go to like, like a lot of these concerts were at Clemson University or uh, at some of the colleges around in South Carolina. I would just pester my parents and then let me go to these concerts. I'm sure it looked kind of strange. Some little kid going to see Gap Band concerts, but I, you know, I loved it. It was amazing so much fun that's a perfect way to to learn about the great music man that's awesome um and then how did you i know you got signed by lava records i guess which is an offshoot of atlantic records in 94 but how'd you start touring with like weren't you touring with like dave matthews hootie and the blowfish like weren't those sort of the early tours for you yeah well so back then um in the early 90s uh when we put the band together the way that everybody did it because we would go up and down the East Coast playing in the fraternity houses. And the way you did that was you had to have your own PA and you had to have, like, you know, enough of a truck to be able to carry it all around. And so, you, you know, you were basically your own sound company and the band, you know, and, and you would play the fraternity houses until you had enough fans that were coming to those parties and then you transition over into the local rock club and you would just play fraternities and sororities until you had enough money to go to you know ziggy's and winston-salem or and then once you got into ziggy's you could actually make 
you know, once Jay Stevens at Ziggy's had booked you, um, then you kind of got the door would open to all the other cool clubs like up the East Coast at like the Norva or, or uh, there was uh, uh, Phil's Grill in um, in uh, Virginia Beach, and then you could make it up to the night the uh, um, the Bayou in DC. Yeah, and, in Georgetown, or, which isn't there the anymore. Yeah, you know, it was it was it was like um, you know, it I, it it was just one of those hand to mouth things and we were all playing fraternities and I, I remember one weekend Dave Matthews was at W and L. We were at W and L with Dave Matthews, the Grapes, uh Hootie and the Blowfish, uh Jacko Pierce and, and all on one campus one weekend. Wow. And, can you imagine being and, and a student a month, at Washington and Lee and so, and that's the bill? Holy crap. <laughs> and and it, it was all, we were all playing at the same time at different houses. Oh and so God. people were just running back and forth to the different fraternity houses. It was, it was crazy. And then, um, you know, a, a, a short few months later, you know, Dave and Hootie were playing amphitheaters yeah. and we were opening so we were kind of always sort of the support act, but it was great. I mean, it was just a great spot to be in. It was it was a it was a perfect timing. You know, it was the end of grunge, and everybody was sort of tired of feeling sad. And, um, then here comes Dave Matthews and Matthews and Hootie, and they just kind of turned the corner and uh, made it possible for so many bands in the southeast to have careers. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. It that it that's that's just wild to me that you could. There were probably kids at Washington Lee, <laughs> just staggering, you know, with a, a red solo cup or whatever of keg beer, going <laughs> going from frat house to frat house and seeing. That's amazing to me. And then you all kind of just your careers yeah. took off and you just took the frat party on the road. There you go. Um, that it literally, it really, literally was. It, we just we were we were backstage playing you know 20,000 seats going man dude what happened what like 10 minutes ago we were you know we were playing fraternity out crazy <laughs> 10 years 10 minutes ago there was a beer pong table next to us and now we're, <laughs> now exactly. we're on a stage sold out crowd that's amazing all right well we mentioned you signed with uh, lava in 94 you did the first album uh honor among thieves in 95 um, but I guess like the really huge one, you know, was the second one with um, Misguided Records, 1997, second album, because that had I'll Be yeah. a huge hit. Um, tell me about uh, I think last time you joined us, you shared a cool story, but see if you could recount it for me. Um, the the big line in the song, you know, uh, you know, I'll be your crying shoulder. Wasn't that like a little bit of like a, a misnomer? Like you heard someone say instead of shoulder to cry on or yeah, something. Tell me that story. Yeah. This dude in the bar was hitting on a girl, and it just—he just was just drunk enough to where he fumbled his words, and he meant to say, "I'll be the short, I'll be your shoulder to cry on." And he went, "I'll be crying shoulder," and I went, "Wait a second. and I wrote it down on a napkin and just threw it in my pocket. And I had—I back then I used to—I'd overhear people say things or. I'd see situations and I'd write them all down. I had scraps of paper and I'd throw them all in my bag. And when I got home, I was doing my laundry. I would get all the scraps of paper out and see if there was anything worth 
you know, anything song worthy. And, and that one came out of the bag right about the same time the record company president called me and said, listen, man, I went, I just came from a department head meeting and they're all talking about dropping you off the label. And, you know, the next thing you turn in needs to be really great. And, uh, so I was like, okay, well, I have this one idea that I think is really good. And I sat down on my futon and wrote this song and thank God I did because otherwise I'd be your favorite pizza delivery guy. <laughs> well, you'd be yeah, you'd, you'd be using napkins for another reason to mop up pizza songs, yeah, not, not song lyrics. I'm glad you didn't throw that napkin into the the laundry. I'm glad you pulled it out of the pocket. That's amazing. A great yeah. song. Uh, I mean, I mean, dude, it, it is like one of the. I mean, wedding songs, slow dance songs. It is like an all all timer. It'll be it'll be played forever. It'll it'll outlive you and me. That's crazy to me. Um, didn't you ha- didn't you really have yeah. to didn't you really have to pound the pavement driving around in van in a van and stuff like radio stations like didn't you really really uh, have uh, we, to hit the circuit to promote hustled. that one? Yeah, we we hustled really hard uh, in the beginning because even even with the song we loved the song but the record company wasn't really we weren't really a priority to them and um, so I had kind of a three ring circuit going with all my friends calling radio stations and us riding around doing any single thing that any any radio station wanted us to do like i was playing like pool parties and doing drive-through weddings and krispy kreme donuts and <laughs> i mean it was i i was I, I was there was no shame in my game i would do whatever it took and more, mercifully it worked out you know it was definitely a lot of work um and back then too, that was really the only way to reach a lot of people was was through radio, and and um, and it was it was uh, it was a three ring circus. But then Atlantic got the song placed into a show called Dawson's Creek, mm-hmm. and it was like the final episode of the season. And you know, I've never even seen the show. I'm I'm embarrassed to say. Oh, you got to go back and watch okay. it. Or maybe not at this, at this I, point. I know, keep, I've, keep I've never watched going. I, <laughs> Keep the streak going. I've point. never watched a single episode of that show. And and I guess that from from that one episode, the end of the season, the sales like quadrupled. Like we were, I don't even know. We were selling like 1,800 records a week. And then Dawson's Creek, and it was like 20,000. Mm. And then it. It just kind of started burn, slow burning from there, and here we are, almost thirty years later, and it's still going. Wow! Yeah, you and uh, pa- Paula Cole. You remember? You you know the theme song yeah. of that show, right? I don't want to win. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But that's crazy to me that some of the first people that heard "I'll Be" this masterful song were eating a donut at a Krispy Kreme. <laughs> uh, easily. You no, know, I mean, I think back to some of this silly stuff we did. Like, I mean, I was like playing acoustic guitar in the lobby of of radio stations, like just anything. Yeah, well, there was there was no streaming or Spotify or Pandora or you know any there wasn't any of that iTunes. It was nothing back then. So yeah, you had to you had to hit the pavement. I'm Bradley Trainer and I'm Don McLean. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like this: A list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house 
to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Um, well, maybe time for one more. I have to ask about it. I could not ask for more, uh, you know, obviously, because it was on the third album, Messenger, in 1999. I think it was in that movie, Message in a Bottle, too. But um, wasn't it? It was written by... So while you wrote I'll Be on a Napkin, and you write most of your great songs, but this one, I couldn't ask yeah. for more, was written by the great Diane Warren. And didn't you not even know who she was at the time? No, I didn't. I didn't know who she was. I, <laughs> I literally... They, they, we were in the, in the studio recording our album and some of the record smoothies. I call it, I used to call them people that work at the label, the record smoothie. And um, they showed up and they were like, hey, Diane Warren wrote this song for you. And I was like, who's Diane Warren? And they said, you don't know who Diane Warren is? I was like, no, yeah. <laughs> and they tried to explain it. And I, I listened to the song and I hated it. And because the tempo was half, it, the tempo is about half the speed it is now, and and there was a ver there was a verse in it that was just so Hallmark Cardi, uh, and I just I couldn't do it, and I was like, Ugh, no, I'm not doing this, and so I just basically turned them down, and they came back and they were like, well, wait, you can't turn down a Diane Warren song, and I was like, yeah, I just did. <laughs> and um they're like she wrote uh because you love me for celine dion and i don't well, want to miss the thing yeah. for aerosmith and how do i live for leanne well, rhymes come I, on <laughs> yeah yeah she's, cr she's crushing it so i mean part of that whole thing is is that like once you become an established songwriter then everybody goes oh well it's got to be a hit including right. the program directors so they it has a pedigree right Right. If it's a Diane Warren song, well, it's automatically going to get airplay because Diane Warren will call the program directors and cuss them out if they don't put it on. It's like right. having a whole other like machine on board with you. And don't get me wrong, like I I've met her since then and hung out, and I love her. She's fantastic. She's hilarious. I mean, yeah, she's but like, at the time you didn't know who she was. Not who she was, and I love her as a person. She's a wacky person. I enjoy her. <laughs> her company uh, especially, but at the time I just didn't like the song and it just didn't really fit with what I was hoping to do. And of course I didn't understand that it would be important to do a Diane Warren song. And, and so the record company people said, well, what about this? What if we pay you to do it for a soundtrack? And I was like, Oh, okay, sure. I'll do that. I'll, you know, I'll, <laughs> if you're gonna pay me, yeah, definitely. So, so I recorded the song ostensibly for a soundtrack that was for a a, a movie called Message in a Bottle, and uh, it was a Kevin Costner film. Yeah. And then, the so as soon as they got hold of the recording, they took it to radio and went to work on it. And as soon as it got on the radio and started doing well, then they said, oh, yeah, by the way, it's going on your record. So, and that was the end of that, you know. Yeah. 
Well, that movie, um, that movie was and, one of those Nicholas Sparks books adaptation, Kevin Costner, Robin Wright, and all that. So you you had a built-in exactly. audience ready to go for that. <laughs> yeah, and I and I I wasn't, you know, I I was I was young, so I didn't understand. Like, you know, if the record company has come up with a plan and and they already have a song in mind, you should probably just play ball because you know they have all <laughs> they have a lot of other stuff they're trying to do too. So. Right. Um, I reluctantly uh, had a hit. <laughs> so, uh, but did you like it they, better once you up, you know, picked the tempo? You said you doubled the tempo and yeah, cut well, out a please, verse. Like, yeah, are you happy well, with the version yeah, now? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I love it now. I mean, it's a great song to sing, and people, you know, it, yeah. but at, at the time, it was just one of those like, wait a minute, we, you know, I don't. I, I and I had never done anybody else's music outside of ours, so yeah. outside of what I had been writing, so that was weird. And but now I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have any compunctions. A great song is a great song. I'm happy to sing Ab- great songs. Absolutely. Well, there's a ton of people listening to this that love. I couldn't ask for more. So I'm, we're glad you did it. Sorry, and, yeah. and and didn't say what you think? Of, didn't Sarah Evans did a country cover of it too? Right? That was pretty good. Sarah that, Evans good had a hit with it. Yeah, so so first of all, it was definitely a hit song, and I just wasn't—I I was just too dumb to realize it. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I mean, I said I—I I only said that that was time for our last question because I—I I, I know you're like on a bus, and I'm trying to be generous of your time. But if you do want to plug anything else, you've done a ton of music since since then. I mean, is there, is there, is there, how about I say this? If there's people that only know those two big songs or whatever, and aren't as familiar with the stuff since then, cause you've done a crap ton of stuff since then. What are you like most proud of that? You should be like, Hey, everyone go back and check out, you know, this particular one, like that, that maybe people don't know as well. Like this is I'm my personal, I'm really proud of this one. I, I like, um, I really liked uh, an album we did called Far From Over uh, and and really it was a terrible title for an album because it was actually, it was officially over with Atlantic. Uh, <laughs> you should never title an album Far From Over, kids. Let that be your <laughs> lesson. Um, you're tempting fate. But I really liked that record and I also made another record called Lost in America that, was, that I really liked um, that was sort of an indie record. Was that based uh, on the, then, the Albert Brooks movie? Yes, no, not based on a well, not based on the Albert Brooks movie, but that was definitely in our mind when we made it. We, oh, uh, that, it that movie funny. isn't that movie hilarious? So not only Albert Brooks at his, <laughs> not only him at his peak, but um, Julie Hagerty, remember his wife who was in Airplane? With the scene where they yeah. so they quit, they quit their jobs. Obviously, just so in case our listeners miss it, they quit their jobs and 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 you know getting this RV and touring the country, living off the grid or whatever. And he wakes up one night at a casino, and she's she has apparently has a gambling problem, and she's like, "Put yeah. it on twenty two, put it on twenty two. It's so funny." Yeah, she. She lost it all. Then he's got to do the whole thing and go in and go. The desert in has heart. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Twenty two. Yeah. That part gets me every time. Well, cool. Hey, thank you so so much for joining us. Um, uh, you, you've been generous with your time. We'll let you run because you're probably about ready to get off the tour bus. Yeah, we're getting ready to load in and get started. Well, have a great show and uh, best of luck with Brian May and Queen tonight. Enjoy the show in Baltimore before we head down to, to the Birchmere and, uh, and Ramshead, all right? Thank you so much. All right, great catching up. Talk to you soon. See ya. 
Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. Thank you.